Mike, Holly Doris, how the heck are you? Um, I may have mentioned to you I have a lingering cough. I don't know if it's a CinemaCon cough or uh, just one I found on the way home in Barstow. So. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Well, my dog just barked, so that was not Mike coughing. That was the dog bark. That was the official start of the podcast. Let's go. It was. It's a rough start, so <laughs> to speak. <laughs> so, Mike, it was a really interesting weekend. We had... The kickoff to the summer movie season with the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. We did. I have updated numbers. You know, the, the original Sunday estimate was $114 million domestically, coming in at $118.4 million. So it actually they had a really strong Sunday, didn't they? I want to even back up before that. So as we're looking at the numbers on Friday morning, and usually as we look at those first numbers that come in, you can get a pretty good idea of where it looks like it's going. Right. And pretty much nailed Friday. So Friday, I had that like right around 48 to 50 million. I think it came in at 48.25. Yep. If you played it out like a typical Marvel movie, that would have come out to about 110 million for the weekend. As a matter of fact, deadline, that was the initial number they went with was 110. Every day, though, that number crept up. Yeah. So then Saturday morning, when you looked at the hourlies, you were like, 110 now looks like maybe that's 114. And then 114 looked like, hey, maybe now that's 118. So the good news is the critical score, and I think it's 92% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. The A Cinema score, word of mouth is definitely helping this movie to grab some legs and go out and overperform. So pre-release tracking, and we talk about this all the time, and depending on what you were listening to, had it anywhere between 100 and 130 million to open. Right. I saw some numbers that were like 140, 150, but- I don't know where those came from, but- <laughs> You know what? Those are people sometimes, they're not looking at any real data. Right. And all they're doing is- it should do $140 million. And they come up with these arbitrary numbers. Yeah. 130 was the number I kept hearing. And let's remember, if we rewind back to the kickoff movie of the summer of 2022, is Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, which now in retrospect was absolutely tremendous. $187.4 million domestic debut a year ago. That was a killer opening. And I think that also put pressure on Guardians. Some were looking at it as a bit of a soft opening, you know? Yes and no. So let's look back at Doctor Strange last year. The marketplace was in a completely different position, if you remember. Right. We were struggling to have movies come up and do any kind of opening. Paul, we are now the 12th week in a row, and this week will be the 13th, that we have a movie grossing $30 million or more at the box office. Now, I haven't gone back through the Comscore archives to see the last time that happened, but I'm willing to bet it's a long time. It's been a while, Mike. And, you know, it's cool because Fast 10 doesn't come out for another, you know, almost two weeks. There really is no major competition for Guardians. I mean, there's other movies on the way. The next big blockbuster, and this is typical for summer, to have a big kickoff movie, have a, not a quiet second weekend of the summer, but there's usually a lull without a giant blockbuster, and then another blockbuster, and then we get to Memorial Weekend, and we have another big opener after Fast 10. You know, that's a good point, Paul. And then I want to get into something else, too, that I saw you do the interview with Yahoo today, and I want to touch on something you brought up because there's a very important point in there as well. But let's talk about the release schedule for a second. So we had Guardians of the Galaxy, which does 118. This week, it's Book Club and Hypnotic are the two wide releases. Right. And then on the 15th, you have Fast 10, 
And then on the 26th, you have About My Father. You then have Kandahar, the Gerard Butler movie. You have The Machine from Sony. And then you have what looks to be the big dog for the weekend, The Little Mermaid, which initial tracking has huge numbers for that. Then you go to June 2nd. You got The Boogeyman and you have Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. And then, Mike, let me pick it up there. Transformers, Rise of the Beast, Strays, The Flash, Elemental, it just keeps on coming. Oh, and Fast X, that's going to be released on May 19. So just an amazing lineup of films. I think that's the point. So the point is last year where Doctor Strange in the multiverse was a much needed shot in the arm. Guardians of the Galaxy is more keeping the momentum going. You know, it's a little different. I mean, let's take a look at what is the phenomenon that is the Super Mario Brothers. You're looking at another 18.55 million this weekend, 518 million. It is now the second highest grossing animated film. I'm not counting the 2019 live-action Lion King as an animated, although some will. Right, as is correct. Yes, you're right. Yeah, it's closing in on Incredibles at whatever that is, 608. So the big thing, I guess, is that the movie-going audience is very healthy right now. And Paul did an interview with Yahoo Entertainment. He did a live interview earlier today, and he brought up a really good point. So you were talking about box office, and you were talking about whether we do 9, whether we do 10, and You really have to put it in the proper perspective and that you can't look at it the way you may have looked at it 10 or 15 years ago. And I was talking with one of the guys who runs one of the specialty exhibitor chains, does a lot of dine-in, high-end stuff. He was telling me they're running something like 20% ahead of where they were in 2019. Now, they're playing a little bit of a different game because remember, he's got maybe... 40 to 60 seats in an auditorium. Right. So his threshold to sell out and to get where he needs to get to is a little different than if you have 200 seats. But his point was, for him, we're back, baby. You know, now it's all about how does he manage all the product in the marketplace? That is his struggle right now. Yeah, and that's a good struggle to have, you know, a bevy of riches, as I said on the Yahoo Finance show. And what I brought up too is we need to stop looking at 2019 and saying, do we get to 11 billion? That is not the barometer by which we should be judging today's marketplace. There are fewer theaters. There were some chains, unfortunately, that didn't weather the storm. There's some screens that shut down. But like I keep saying ad nauseum, if it's a leaner, meaner business and it's more efficient, that's good for the industry. And like you were just saying about the person you were talking to, if you fill those 60 seats, that's a good thing. Well, that's what it comes down to. Yeah. And auditoriums are, for the most part, shrinking in size. We've gone from where the big build was, you'd have the, I like to call them kind of like the barns, where you would have two, three, four hundred seats. Now we're at the point where all the new builds, Brian Schultz and Look Cinemas just built this gorgeous theater down in New York up on 57th. And I haven't been in there, but I'm guessing that Brian's biggest auditorium maybe is 100 seats or something like that. So your threshold of grossing may be lower. Your ticket value is higher, but your whole value of the entertainment proposition is higher because there's more food and beverage now. Remember, in the food and beverage piece has changed so much from what it was. It's not just popcorn and red vines now. Now it's like there are places where you can go get sushi and you can get a gourmet meal and you can get a drink. So, And it's a whole different experience. You know, premium experiences does not just apply to the size of the screen or if the seats move or if it's 
3D or the sound is Dolby Atmos or whatever. It also applies to the experiential part of the food and beverage component, which is a big deal. And I think that's a really important part of this for theaters. And certainly during the pandemic, I mean, people had masks on. The emphasis went away from the food and beverage because people didn't really want to. In fact, some theaters weren't even offering that at certain points. So now it really is a business where all of these elements are firing on all cylinders. And I've run the numbers and Mike, we're actually closing in on almost $3 billion year to date domestically. At this point a year ago, we were just over $2 billion. So we're running about 800 or so million ahead of last year at this point. Certainly, of course, we are behind 2019. But like I think you said in one of your comments I read somewhere, that difference between 23 and 19 is going to be a little elastic. It's going to change depending on what opened then and what opens now. I think like you mentioned before, it's going to be like, how do you deal with all these movies? Like, And by deal with, I mean in a good way that there's almost too much product, Mike. Can you imagine after we're showing 20 more films being released this summer than last summer? 20. And think about that, Paul. We talked about last year that at the end of the year, it was 40 fewer releases in 2022 than it was in 2019. And now look where you are. You know, we're probably going to be pretty darn close when it's all said and done at the end of the year. Yeah. You know, gross wise, will we be close? You know, if you would have rewound two years ago when we were looking at A Quiet Place and Corella opening up, would you have thought that in 2023 we would be talking about a nine or a $10 billion year? No. In fact, I think a lot of people had given up and thought, will we ever get back to even $10 billion domestically and look, $40 billion global? in our Comscore data, that's sort of the benchmark for global in the pre-pandemic era. 11 billion, a record year of 11.9, Mike, 11.9 billion in 2018. But to me, and I think that's an obvious fixation point for everyone when we're just looking at the sheer math of it. If we look at 2019 through May 7 at 3.7 billion, right now we're at 2.8 billion. But this is really, in terms of a football analogy, we're like in the first quarter. Yes. Even though it's not really the first quarter of the year now, but it, you know, we're in the early stages of this. And I think, Mike, you know, a traditional summer generates around 4 billion or 40% of the domestic box office year. I've been getting pretty bold on saying that we could be approaching those 2019, 2018, 2017 summer levels instead of being at like 3.3 or 4 billion as we were last summer. Given this lineup of films, Mike, I just think there's nothing holding this industry back other than too many movies, <laughs> too much good stuff out there. But I think it's going to be a great summer for movie theaters and for moviegoers as well. I know you and I are always very bullish on this market, but we speak the truth. I mean, when Mike and I look at these numbers and we're always very optimistic. I think we've also been very realistic about what we've talked about. Yeah. If you go back and listen to the podcast when we started this six, seven months ago and, you know, we were still trying to claw back and the movies were still kind of lean as far as the marketplace. Yeah. You know, we kind of foretold where this was all going to end up and you could tell the peaks and valleys of where we were heading. So, you know, again, I wish I could tell you I was a great prophet and I could see the future, but it was more of a, I've been in the business. I've seen how it works. Like it's not a tremendous surprise 
Well, Mike, you make a great point because we know you're right because we'd both been in the business so long. We were just looking at looking at our experience, going through back through the memory bank of being in the business, both of us. I mean, I've been in it 30 years. You've been longer than that. And, you know, we started when we were children, Mike. So, that, so we're very young still. I had hair back then. <laughs> there you go. So, and also really one need only to have looked at the release calendar for this year, especially for this summer, but also the fall and holiday period, which are chock full of films to see that if the marketplace is open and those films are out there, we're going to have great box office. People are going to go to the movie theater. Well, the other thing too was you could look at movies that had been released up until that time that spoke to the audience and they came out, whether it was Spider-Man, whether it was A Quiet Place, whether it was Jungle Cruise, whether it was Top Gun, you know, Avatar when we got into Christmas. When the content was there, you know, Lost City, Uncharted, when the content was there, people showed up. Oh my God, Mike, remember Free Guy? Yeah, when the content was not there. Right. People aren't going to come out. Those movies know who they are. <laughs> but when the content wasn't there, people do what they've done for years and years, and that is, I'm not going. The signs were there that once the system got itself corrected, it was going to be fine. And then the second piece of getting the system, quote unquote, corrected was we needed to figure out this whole streaming windowing issue. And, you know, the studio spoke loud and clear, and we talked about it last week in the CinemaCon episodes, that they've all realized now that a theatrical release is very important to elevate the IP and to give it that cachet that it's not made for video. Let's look at Evil Dead Rise. So Evil Dead Rise was made for the streaming platform. They just crossed 50 million. I think they're at 54 million now or something like that. Yeah. And I guarantee you, I haven't spoken to anybody over there, but Evil Dead Rise 2 is probably on its way now. And it'll be theatrical. And Mike, the movie Smile was one. The director came out at the Paramount presentation and said that was going to go straight to streaming. I think they've either greenlit a next Smile movie or the next movie from that filmmaker. And it just, now it's interesting, Mike, to see how everyone was like running from theatrical right when the pandemic hit. Now, all the streamers are like, please let us be part of the cool club. And I love streamers. I'm not making fun of that business. It's a great business. But now, and even at CinemaCon, it was all, all about now that the streamers, like you just said, are recognizing the value add that it brings to their movies. By the way, it's all part of the ecosystem. And the ecosystem, you know, has always kind of been way back when I was a child. It was theatrical. Then there was the TV window. And then it would get re-released in theatrical. And then there was another TV window. And then when pay TV came up with HBO, then there was the theatrical, the pay window, the free window. Yeah. And then, of course, once home entertainment came around, then there was a way to jam that in there. Well, Mike, I got to interrupt you because I want to ask you if you remember this. So I'm a big movie fan. I know you are, too. I remember back in those days, like in the 80s or not, you know, the 80s, yeah. let's say, if you wanted to buy a movie and watch it at home, it was a sell-through, I think yes. they called it. And I bought many a movie for $80, like yeah. on, on beta. $89.99. <laughs> that was the price. Kids, you could buy a TV for that now. You get a 70-inch TV and, you know, back then you'd get a big box of tape. Exactly. And and I remember buying, not renting, well, you could rent then, but I remember if I really loved a movie, I would buy it and I would pay $80 or $90 for it, Mike. It's such a different world. I mean, we talk about the cost of things today, but in some ways things are more cost efficient. Economies of scale are such that you get a better bargain on certain things that we used to just Hap not happily, but we would, if you loved a movie, 
you wanted to show it to your friends and watch it at home, you would pay the big bucks to get that movie. Again, like $80, $90 to buy a movie in the 80s. A couple of points I want to bring up on that. And I was reading, I read an article yesterday, and there was an analyst from one of the financial firms who was basically, he found a new target. He wasn't doom and gloom on the theatrical business. He was doom and gloom <laughs> on the streaming business. And uh, basically was was trying to say he did not know how, and I'm not sure I agree with this, but he, he did not think that anything other than Netflix or Disney Plus, which had these scalable kind of uh, user bases, would ever find a way to be profitable or would make sense. Or survive. Yeah. And it was really interesting because two years ago, streamers were the darling. Everybody wanted to get into the business. And now you're kind of seeing that the dynamic is shifting again, where theatrical, again, is kind of driving the bus because that's creating the value for all these other platforms. But they all need to work hand in hand with each other. Absolutely. Streaming is a vital part of the entertainment system. There's a lot of revenue that's generated when you talk about a movie. And there's a lot of things on streaming that we all watch the same way though that we all like to go to the movies. And there's movies we want to see in movie theaters. And there's movies that some people want to own. And it's the ecosystem of how it all works. It's evolving. It's changing, as we've talked about. And, and one other thing I kind of wanted to bring up, Paul, too, was I don't want to make it doom and gloom, but I do want to bring up a interesting something we should keep an eye on in regards to the release schedule over the next four or five weeks. And that is the writer's strike. You know, you may say, okay, what does the writer's strike have to do with a movie that's already in the can? As these movies are being released, we all know there's a big... PR campaign that goes with that. And that PR campaign includes going on the talk shows, working all of these different angles, you know, going on Saturday Night Live, whatever it happens to be. If those shows are closed down for any length of time, that affects the PR push and may affect some of these movies for staying where they are. Well, you know, Mike, you bring up a great point because in my myopic view, I was just looking at it as, well, the movies are done, they're written. So how's that going to affect it? But that's a great point because all these ancillary ways that talent gets out there or that the movies are advertised or promoted rely on these platforms that often have to have either writers or the other guilds that are in solidarity with the writers to right. get them out there. So it is very complex. I don't profess to be an expert on the whole that whole part of it, like the intricacies of that. But I do think it's very important for the industry to realize this is a big deal and and even more profoundly affecting, let's say, movies down the road. And for streamers who have a much higher churn rate in terms of the content, they have to have writers writing. They're doing many more shows. You know, it's not like a movie where they it's written and it takes months right. to produce it and release it. So yeah, that's a big topic that we will be watching for on our podcast. I think my, my point would be just don't be surprised if you see one or two movies in the next few weeks you know, punt to a couple of months down the road. It's a very interesting point. I think you're onto something there. And it, it's an implication of the writer's strike that maybe many had not thought of, including myself. So I think that's a good point. But I think we're going to wrap it up, Mike. You know, you got to save your voice, my friend. Uh, yeah, you know what? We the, need you out the, here. The cough, <laughs> we need you on Ticket I'm to Ride. I'm on the cough lozenges right now. <laughs> oh, man. You know, I will suggest a hot toddy, a little uh, 
hot water and some whiskey. Uh, there you go. That'll you know, put, that's always the go-to. That'll put me to sleep, and uh, <laughs> that'll be the end of the day right there. Well, that is uh, our latest. What is this, episode 25 now, I think Mike, so. The like, we're almost ride? at 26. That'll be six months. Wow. And then we had a couple of bonus episodes yep. in there. We're going to have some interviews coming up. Yeah. You know, we do have some interesting interviews that are coming up. You know, I know we're going to have uh, Sarah Witten back, and we're going to go over some of the movies that we saw at CinemaCon and what those are. And yeah. I think Scott's going to come back. Scott Mance. Uh, yeah, we got to have Mance back. And uh, we've got a few other mystery guests on the horizon. Stay tuned, folks. It'll be fun. All right. Well, that's your latest Ticket to Ride episode. I'm Paul DeGaravidian, Senior Media Analyst for ComScore, and Mike Polidoris, President of Paper Airplane Media. It's great to see you, Mike, on this platform that we're working with where we can actually see each other, but you're only hearing us. But uh, great to see you as always, and I'll see you at the movies, Mike. All right. Take care, Paul. Take care, Mike. Bye.